0: Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Uh, Great, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Pauline Learman. Pauline is the Director of Market Research at Urban Nation. Pauline, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me on.
0: Great to have you. Uh, I know we've known each other for quite a while. It's great to finally have you on the podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, you know, that's great, fantastic.
0: Yeah, why don't we start by just telling everybody a little bit more about your story itself? Like, how did you get started in the in in sort of the real estate and, and condo business, and how did you you know get in in with Urbanation and your job that you're doing today?
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'm kind of like done the circle tour of, of market research in the industry, if I like to call it. Um, I, I'm kind of an urban geographer with economics by background, and I got into the industry initially by starting to work for RailNet, which is our competition. So um, at the time, this is about 15 years ago, I that was my first um, kind of moment into the industry. And at the time, that was when kind of things were getting to a peak in low-rise market, um, but they needed someone to work on high-rise and I was one of the first people to work on high-rise inside their office. And from there, I spent about five years there, and then I went over to Barry Lines, and I got a lot of uh, um, Barry Lines, or NBLC, as some people, a lot of people know it as. Um, I spent uh, about five years there working on consulting jobs, um, various senior you know, de- developers, um, government agencies, whatnot, working in all these plans um, before even these projects come to the market. Um, and then I moved over to Urbanation, where I kind of do a little bit of both right now. <laughs> And uh work on the day to day in terms of our market research. Um we've added a number of things to it. I work on our new database that we launched about a year and a half ago um and as we do upgrade as well. So that's kind of how I've kind of progressed around, um, adding a little bit here and there. Um I'm kind of well known for being very hands on. I'm usually on site quite often. I like to check things out and check out the crowds and check out the response to to the market as it goes on so we can kind of give kind of a a kind of um Less abstract, number-oriented, as well as having some qualitative um, qualitative background to what we do.
0: Absolutely. I We see each other everywhere, it seems. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Any, I mean, you're at a lot more events probably than I am, even. I'm, I feel like I'm at an event uh, in the condo industry, you know, sort of at least once or twice a week. Um, and there you <laughs> always it feels are. I feel like there's
1: more yes. Yeah.
0: Mm. <laughs> It's it's funny how you said you started at RealNet and you're at Barry Lyons, another great company, mm-hmm. Great, both great companies. Now you're at uh, Urbanation. Um It's a small industry, isn't it? A lot of people really do bounce around between companies and everybody sort of knows each other. And, and uh, I mean, you're competitors between the companies, but at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're colleagues in a sense as well. Mm-hmm.
1: And we are a bit uh, – people who do market feasibility and market research are a bit of a niche and there's only a handful of us really out there, and I think probably predecessors like um Jeanne Shim, who we speak with, is kind of a predecessor in this as well and has lots of experiences. There's a number of us, kind of, a lot of ladies as well, which is great, um, that have been in the industry doing doing this type of work. And uh, we do know each other very well, and we're friendly, you know, a drinks thing and all that.
0: So. Yeah, that's great. Um Big question. Everybody asks it. Got to get your take on it, uh, being who you are, and, and, and I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask you. How's the market? What's it, what's going on in the market? Is there a condo bubble? What's what's your take on the condo market in general? What are the themes that you're sort of with trying not to give the cliche sort of answer, which I'm sure you've given a thousand times. But what are what are you sort of <laughs> seeing in the market right now, if that's even possible? <laughs>
1: I think the market, a market is. Oh, you know, I hate to avoid the cliche. I think the market is always interesting. It's always interesting in different ways, and, and where we are right now is kind of that peak completion cycle where we're seeing seeing all these projects finish, and, and you know, enter the market and mainly enter the rental market. I and mean, be honest, like you know, over 20, 26% of the last quarter's data went into rental. Like the new units that finish went new rental into the rental pool, and less so in the resale market, which is having its own repercussions itself. Um, I think the market is incredibly diverse right now, and I think that um, we saw such a buoyant 2014 that I think we're trying to find where we are in terms of certain market areas. I mean, downtown, um, you know, we've kind of put out recently we thought that downtown was under supply, and and that doesn't necessarily mean there's no units out there that aren't available for sale. There definitely is. It's just not having that, that range of launches that occurred last year and bringing that new product out in different sites. I think I just had one site that launched last week um, and that was like kind of the first bigger downtown project I've seen in quite a number of few months in the area. And and we kind of looked at the historical trends and really we're seeing the unsold supply come down quite a bit because people are looking to live downtown and um, that kind of dynamic that's going on and also kind of feeding into, I, I hesitate to ever use the word bubble um, bubble, I feel, is like verboten <laughs> amongst all of us who do market mm-hmm. research, and it's it's really. And why is that? Like,
0: what what is specific about the word that I think I know what you're saying, but
1: I, I would think I would say hyperbole is pretty much the best yeah. way that it's gone to. I think it's overused.
0: Um, it's a, I it's think a headline it's, word. It's become a headline word that it. doesn't really mean anything anymore, does it?
1: Exactly. And what does that bubble mean? Does it mean that it is too many units that are for resale? Is it too many units for sale and new sale? Because people forget that, that the active condo market, and the new condo for sales, I mean, it makes up a large chunk that aren't being built yet. I mean, you've got the, pre-con, the pre-construction con, the pre market where, you know, if those projects don't reach a certain level of, of threshold of sales, they simply don't get built. And, you know, certainly it's not uncommon. I mean, it is actually very common for our industry to have a couple of projects that just misfire, and, and for projects like that to maybe not go forward, maybe they're a mispositioned, mispriced, or maybe it was just the wrong product at the wrong time. Um, and then, I mean, you know, people tend to kind of latch onto these these issues and say, oh, well, here's a sign of a bubbles here, but it's not really the case. Um, when you have, you know, XXY and Z, all these other projects are doing very well. Um, and I think that, that it's just a, a misused word. Um, I think that we like to look at the challenges and, I, and kind of call it as that a challenge to the market. How do you handle um, new trends? How do you handle um, when you have all these projects being completed? And what we've seen when we're, we're kind of getting into a little more talking about the rental data is that pleasantly, a very surprised. Maybe we thought maybe it be a little softer than it was, but um would be. But we found that the demand is, has picked up in terms of. Uh, absorbing these units that are coming to market. And we had just under 13,000 units that have actually registered or reached their final closings for the first half of the year.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a a big number. And I want to talk more about the rental numbers, of course, (laughs) mostly in this podcast. But before we get to the rental numbers from Q2, which you just recently released, uh, let's back it up uh, from recently. You had a great blog post, um, Mm -hmm. and I'll definitely include a link to it on the show notes for this episode, which anybody can find at truecondos.com, but um, the CMHC fiasco, as I would call it, um, (laughs) I don't know how you describe it, but uh, (laughs) so CMHC came out with these numbers and this this very scary-looking chart that basically, for those people who, who missed the headlines from about a month ago... Uh they basically said that uh you know record number of of unabsorbed finished but un unabsorbed or you know essentially not purchased not lived in units um on the Toronto condo market, like the highest number in twenty five mm-hmm. years or whatever of uh of tracking this number CMHC came sure out and said knows. this right mm-hmm. so everybody obviously myself included when we heard this we thought, well, what is going on here? Uh, my gut reaction being in the market was there's something weird going on with this number. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I didn't you know, have the, the ability to look into it, as you obviously have. But I just felt like there's something weird about that number. And, of course, all the media jumped on it and said, you know, look, the, the, this is a horrible thing. Sky is falling kind of thing. This makes for great headlines. And I got quite a few emails and calls from clients and people concerned, obviously, about what's going on in the market. Andrew, what's up? Uh and then it was great to see this article that you guys came out with so why don't you tell us about a little bit of what what you discovered uh uh was the case and and what transpired there
1: Well, between, just to kind of give the lay of the land, how we handle, between ourselves and and CMHC, we tend to handle data very differently. And this is where you kind of, you can have your eyes, you know, roll back in the back of your head a little bit when we start to get in kind of our data geek mode and we talk a little bit about how we handle it. Um, We're very particular in terms of how we look at um, units that are getting completed. And it's very difficult to actually track within a building itself how far it actually is. Occupied. We can anecdotally follow along. We can certainly follow along on what's going on in MLS and what's listed on, you know, Realtor.ca, and follow along that. And then we kind of were very surprised by that because we've been following along gradually, month by month, and seeing whether projects are meeting their timelines. And for the most part, they actually are getting close to it. Um, What we found is maybe there's maybe one or two months delays, and part of that has to do going back to weather over the last couple of winters. We've had some pretty harsh winters and they're getting close to their f- frames. So we were looking at it and we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Where did they happen? Well, one of the great things that CMHC has done is now they actually have this housing online portal system and housing information. So you go into the system, you kind of go down and look at the granular, granular level in the different parts of the market. So we said we wanted to take a closer look at that. And uh, Sean was uh, kind of looking into it and both of us were kind of looking into this and we we're seeing, finding that, you know, where is this happening? Um, and it's very easy to have that final jump up if you kind of miss a project in itself. Because we're so much on the ground level, we actually are very familiar with, with the developments day-to-day. Not really day-to-day, but I guess you could describe it as being, we're very familiar with where they're at, basically. Yeah. And we started to look at it, and we realized, well, this zone down into, into Regent Park, of all places. Well, as we all know, there's only a couple buildings that are were actively or in development in Regent Park at a time. Um, right. simply, simply because Daniel's been very successful at you know bringing sub- you know one or two phases a year to the market and, and they've gone they've been absorbed very quickly. So we looked at that, we looked even closer at it and we got kind of right down into that like track level and we were like, well there's no possible way that you know these buildings, you know, one I believe it's one park place south and north, which yeah. are just about one just registered and the other one was registered a year ago had any in remaining inventory um or inventory that was going to make it unabsorbed. Um, so we kind of threw, threw it back, and I think it kind of plays into the hand of how we treat data versus C might treat their data. And, and that's just, you know, how, how researchers go about it. They might expect a certain level of, of completion within the buildings themselves. Um, we kind of track it where we kind of reach occupancy, and then we follow along from there, and then we'll track it once it reaches final closing.
0: Right. So essentially, what you discovered, basically, was there was there was about uh, approximately 800 units, which CMHC was counting as unabsorbed, which mm-hmm. was completely untrue.
1: And it completely fell in right in with the numbers of the units of both buildings. So it was very uncanny in that sense. You're like, oh, well, this would explain this and this would explain that. And, you know, X plus Y equals Z for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. See, so you, you you did some great digging there, found out this great insight. I'm curious, uh, had, did you hear from CMHC since you wrote this post? Did they did they say, yeah, you're correct, or we screwed up, or did they issue any retractions? Because I mean, we <laughs> certainly, you know, when this sort of thing happens, and this is unfortunate, but it's reality, is, you know, the headlines and, the news has come and gone, and you don't see papers issuing retractions saying, oh, remember that headline where we said the sky is falling? Uh, yeah, it was it was not true. You just don't see that. So. <laughs> um, we,
1: we made CMHC aware of what we were seeing, and I understand from since it not necessarily a retraction, but as, as per se, as the absorptions have gone down completely, um, there was a large drop in the unit. So they have adjusted since then. And that goes into play the lag time in terms of reporting and where they're at and what they're reporting. So there is no more apocalypse number out there anymore. Right,
0: right. Um, just going through that experience, and, and from your many years of experience looking at numbers and, and being at different companies and understanding different people tracking numbers differently, um, what's your sort of a, what would be your advice to individual condo investor as they're trying to understand and grasp what is happening in the market? Like what what do you what is your lesson from this sort of a thing?
1: Do incredible amount of homework. Um, understand, you know, what type of product is in these buildings and what they might be, you know, catering to in terms of their marketing. Um, research your builders. Um, look at the general area and not just resales, but maybe rentals, what might be competitive against you coming up. Um, there are certainly some markets that are, you know, definitely in need of rental housing because we're simply not building very much purpose-built at all. Um, And that sort of thing, if you're looking at it from an investor perspective or you're looking at it from an end user perspective.
0: That's great. Let's jump, let's switch gears again back to the Q2 rental numbers and the report that just came out. The fabulous numbers. Yeah, the fabulous, very, uh, yeah, I was really surprised at some of the numbers that you kind of hinted at as well, stronger than expected. (laughs) Um, What are the key highlights from from the report? What are the sort of the top line points that, that? condo investors specifically should know about what's happening in the rental market from Q2?
1: Well, Q2 for us is generally a kind of a ramping up. It's a spring market, but we usually what we find is our highest rental market and that coincides with people moving back to the city for student rentals is Q3. Yes. So for us to get 8,200 rentals in the GTA, which is a 22% jump from last year, is, is is amazing number for that. And we're not even at what we would call our peak period. So that stood out to me, and that kind of asked me, well, what's going to happen in Q3 when we actually do the numbers then? Because we're still seeing projects finish. So I still have over 5,500 completions going on, buildings starting occupancy, and then buildings that are going to be registered during the Q3 period. So we're going to still continue to see this kind of trend towards finishing buildings, and then they see these projects, you know, um, buildings move into the rental market, or buildings that are already completed, and then, you know, their upper levels are now moving their units into the market. Um, but what I found interesting about it was that we actually saw some, some decent rent growth. And we saw, you know, a 4.6 annual jump in, in rents, in, in yeah. index rents. So we're up to $2.48 per foot. A little bit slower in the downtown core where a lot of the competitive competition had it, happened between new buildings, um, which was just under 2% growth. It was about 1.7%, which is actually above where it's been recently, too, for the, for the City of Toronto. So what we're finding now is that new units are bringing, you know, higher rental rates into the area. But at the same time, we're also having these really much, this is kind of where we have that testing ground where all these small units are starting to finish now that we've talked about for so long yep. from the active market. And, you know, our average size dropped to 734 square feet in terms of traded mm-hmm. units. That's the smallest we've ever tracked. And I expect that to actually kind of go down further. You know, I've had some projects that, you know, where their averages were in the 500 square foot range. Yeah. Um, You know, five thirty, five fifty, and we know these buildings. We know we know what the product they offered, and we kind of expected that would happen. But you know, you're actually seeing how it's impacted the overall market in terms of trading.
0: So, how is it? That's a good question to sort of jump in and ask because that's that's a thing a lot of people talk about. Is I've been for a long time very much in favor of investors getting into the smaller units for a number Mm -hmm. of reasons. Uh, But not everyone agrees with me. Some people say there's too many small units. or, uh, you know, people just won't want to live in these small units or there's buildings with too many small units and them. you know, different objections people come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you seeing in the numbers with these types of buildings that the average size of the suite is much lower than the sort of overall market?
1: Well, if you put it this way, if you have a micro unit that, for example, let's hypothetically say gets 1200 $1,250 in monthly rent. But it's under 500 square feet. You're getting a very high index rent value. So what we're finding is that index rents will start to climb, particularly in the, in the inner city, in the in the old city of Toronto itself, over three dollars a foot. Sometimes well over three dollars a foot. So they're getting the return on those units.
0: Yeah. Um, so as the units, uh, just to translate sort of what you're saying for the non-numbers uh, geek out there, so as the units are getting, <laughs> as the units are getting smaller. Uh, therefore, you know, the, the smaller the unit, generally the higher the rent per square foot.
1: Exactly. So you're saying
0: as we're seeing more and more of these buildings finishing and, and coming up with a lot of units for rent with smaller, that are smaller than average units, then therefore the average rental price per square foot is starting to creep up also. Exactly. Mm-mm.
1: Smaller units, higher index values.
0: Um, so. Do you think that are these uh, like what are these buildings a, a problem for the market, or hard to say, or they're actually uh, a good thing? What do you see?
1: I think they are a boon and a challenge in themselves. I think they're a little bit of both. Um, we've simply not had a set of, of units of small come to the market before. And I think they add a, a bit of a diversification to our stock, mm-hmm. which I feel is good. But I think we always also need to be cognizant of how much we add. To that, Right. Um, we've got this current wave that are finishing and we kind of expect a lot more to come as, as the projects that we're, we're marketing last year in the new condo market start to kind of roll along. We'll see more of that. Um, and I think that that presents a real opportunity for the development industry to turn around and say, how can we capture these people who maybe are renting smaller units or maybe bought smaller units and want to move up? And they might not necessarily want to be moving up into a single family home. They might not be able to afford a single family home. And I think that's the reality for a lot of people in the city. Who can
0: afford one now? Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, so kind of like when we're starting to talk about this is like, think about the next step up. Think about the move up condo buyer or the move up condo renter who wants that extra space. Um I think the challenge can afford
0: things, that house, yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. And challenge is getting those that price point right and getting the cost costs involved with that in the right range because certainly land costs in the city are not going down.
0: Absolutely. Um, um going, going back to the number, so eighty two hundred leases, uh, units leased, tracked in mm-hmm. Q two, that was up about 22% from last year. That's an right. all-time high for all-time high for any quarter or all-time high just All-time the high second for
1: any quarter any quarter.
0: All-time high for any quarter and like you said it's not even usually the the busiest quarter for rentals usually Q3 Exactly. Um curious like what was what were the numbers like I don't know if you have them uh if you don't it's not a big deal but what were the numbers for Q2 like in in 2000 Thirteen, uh, going back two years. If if it's up twenty two percent over last year, what was it up? Um, it was up even more over the previous year as well, right? Because we've seen it seems like the trend is just record number of rentals, record like the record just keeps getting broken, and the, like you said, the average size of the unit also that record just keeps getting broken as it gets smaller and smaller. But what yeah, were, were the what were the like? What was, what was the Q2 numbers for 2013, 2014, in comparison to this 8,200 leases? Just so we have a sense of how big this market is getting.
1: I'm going back. We've tracked the condo market, the condo rental market, for about just about four full years now, maybe five when we do it. Then. And what we found is just successive positive growth. Um, Q2 2013, there was actually just about 5,300 rentals then, and that was a 20% wow. increase year over year for it. So wow. we just keep, keep seeing these jumps. And I think that the, we probably the lowest growth we saw was maybe over the like last, in, in Q1, which is Q1 as it stands because it's the it's winter months when we had like an 11% annual increase, and then in Q3... Which was strangely enough, even though it was a record for the quarter, it was 11% annual increase. We thought we thought maybe the rate, rate of growth was actually slowing down. Well, yes. here we are in Q2, and now we have this growth rate of 22%, which is the highest in almost two years. So, um, what we found is we've still seen continually positive growth, and, and this is really kind of coming to the fruition of people, you know, the development industry, cognizant of the fact that there is no new rental being built or at least not an extent of amount of rental being built in this city and meeting the demographic demands and meeting the demand for living in the city. And, you know, it's not just within the city, I would have to say, also it's within the 905. There's nothing being built out in New York region. There's very little being built in like Halton or Durham or stuff like that. And these buildings, you know, even if they might be low rises, even if they might be small little buildings, are filling that need of having rental built units in that area.
0: Absolutely. Um, That's interesting. So, yeah, not just the downtown core. uh, We're seeing the trend all over the GTA. Mm -hmm. Demand for housing. I mean, uh, demand for housing is just, it's everywhere. Uh, Anywhere in the Golden Horseshoe, really, it's it's incredible. Like we, again, I talk about this all the time, just the fact that people are coming to this area. People are coming to the city, Uh, you know, tens of thousands of them every year, approximately 100,000 to the region. Uh this is not normal. I always like to remind people. Like you go to other cities in North America, around the world. Uh I've done some traveling recently in, in, in Europe again, just reminded of how this is such an, an interesting uh time and place to live in and a you know, especially as real estate investors to to take part in. Uh, We're—it's just amazing the growth that Toronto and the region is experiencing, and it's not mm-hmm. something that other—you know—it's—it's a, it's a great problem to have, I guess, as a way to sum it up.
1: No, I, I think that it, we're at the crux of some very economic and, and demographic and kind of political um, axes that just make Toronto a boom town, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you're just telling me, so I'm just doing some rough math here. You said. 2013 2013 was about 5,300 in Q2 rentals, which was up about 20%. So 2012 was roughly around 4,000, I think. Uh, So you're looking at the market has gone from 2012 around 4,000 rentals to 2015, uh, what did we say, over 8,000, 8,200. So the market has essentially doubled in three years. Exactly. In terms of the size, I mean, <laughs> I hope <laughs> I, 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 we really got to pay attention. I hope people are paying attention that they are listening. Condo investors, the rental market has doubled in three years in terms of the size of the rental market. So there again,
1: the volume. Yeah.
0: Again, going back to the theme of is there a condo bubble? Um, are we building too many condos? I, you know, the, the people say, "Oh, there's cranes everywhere. There's too many condos." Look at the numbers, the numbers don't lie, you know, listen to people like yourself who are looking at these numbers and and calculating this stuff every single day. The market has doubled in three years. Uh, Yes, there is definitely demand for all these condos that are being built. Would you agree?
1: Uh, I would agree and I think it it is important to really understand how the market works itself. you know, having reports of, you know, unoccupied units all over the place and not really understanding that some of these buildings take some time to actually occupy. You know, if you're occupying a 55-story building, unless you're the most efficient developer on the planet, it takes some, a few months to do. Yeah. And, you know, you will see units that are are on the rental market right away. You'll see units that maybe are on the 50th floor that won't be on the market for another three months. And that's actually a good thing because you're not watering in one whole wave down in terms of supply, um, in terms of getting them out there. So, you know, just kind of anecdotally seeing that, you can't really judge judge what's going on until you kind of look at the whole picture.
0: Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, you talk about, that's a great example of 55-, 60-, 70-story building. Uh, it's a small here, city. It's yeah. a vertical city. Uh <laughs> You know it's an entire suburb on one uh post you know one little tiny postage stamp uh it takes a long time to occupy and, and finish and complete a building like that so that can yeah. have an impact, that kind of a one single building can impact uh the market for you know one you know <inaudible> one or two quarters as as it's sort of is <inaudible> going through the natural uh cycle of being <inaudible> occupied.
1: And because we're kind of at the peak investor cycle, it you know, very much is not uncommon to see. I mean, certainly you would know as well, but just anecdotally, seeing or looking at numbers, that you know buildings that complete more than 50% of them are being rented on, on even on, on, on MLS, and, and that doesn't even consider the kind of the side markets for these rental units in those buildings. Um, but what really has done is just brought you know you know certainly we have office development going on in the city, we have you know retail renaissance, so much retail planned to kind of meet the demand of this kind of captive population. So there is kind of a, a holistic, you know, and, and also with the city grappling with having, you know, things like park space and infrastructure and, you know, meeting the needs of kind of building our, our, our central core app as well as other neighborhoods in the area.
0: Yeah. It's a great time. Um, what you, you touched on the 905 being a hot area mm-hmm. as well. Like what, in terms of the sub markets of, of the GTA and particularly of, the downtown core, what were the pockets that sort of were the hottest and the coldest, or what were the pockets that the, number, the numbers sort of jumped out at you uh, for, for big growth or, or not growth?
1: We've had big growth in Markham, and, and certainly the Highway 7 corridor is where we've seen big growth in terms of completions along there. mm mm-hmm. Um, not so much in Mississauga and not so much in Richmond Hill yet. And I would say, hesitate to say yet, because where they're at in their development cycle, the, the products that have been built there, have not, they're not at their at, at their completion yet. And, and I expect to see Richmond Hill grow quite a bit in terms of rentals, especially along the young Quarter over the next year or so. Um, we have quite a number of buildings along there. Um, quite a bit of, of growth in Vaughan, and that's going to continue as well. And, and Vaughan's interesting because um, we're certainly going to see more development at, at the kind of terminus of the the Spadina subway line and and what that means for not only just uh, people looking to kind of live near their family, maybe younger people or older people, either way, in terms of their demographic needs, but as well as accessibility to York University from the north end. Um, There's a lot of thought process going into, you know, living in that area as well. Um, Probably I'm just trying to kind of look at some of the numbers that I've picked out. Um, we actually saw rent growth um go up quite a bit in these areas simply because of new supply. So like in Markham, our index rents went up over ten percent annually. Wow. Um, yeah, in Richmond Hill, even though it doesn't have a lot of market because just simply because I had two buildings complete and they were new product, new units and kind of you know upscale buildings, rents climbed seven percent annually. So you're actually wow. seeing, you know, growth in that area because simply there's nothing else out there. Um, And Mississauga, well, Mississauga is a little bit of a different different creature in that it has had waves of development and, you know, certainly going back almost 15 years when we kind of set that first wave in there and then it's kind of ebbed and flowed, uh, you know, as new supply comes to the area. Um, We're going to see some more completions later in the year, um, but it's been a little more tepid, you know, the annual growth rate is about 2.5% in terms of index rents there. So still growing, um, just Mm -hmm. not at, at the overall market level that it was growing at for this
0: GTA. Any markets that, uh, some markets that kind of were were not growing or shrinking in terms of rental prices or anything that sort of uh, you thought oh, was easier sort than of expected?
1: Or- I wouldn't necessarily weak as I would say changing. And I think the biggest change that we may see is maybe someplace like the Atopical Waterfront. Um, mm and that's because the product mix, and when you get a building that's maybe completing that has direct waterfront access or right at yeah. the waterfront, it gets a higher value than maybe a project that, you know, we certainly saw three buildings that are, are getting finished at Lake like Shore and Park Lawn um, that are, yeah. are more removed. They're just on the north right. side, and, and they, you know, they serve a purpose in terms of providing rental for the area, and they serve a purpose in terms of, you know, diversification of the area, but they're, they don't get the rent levels that you would get if you were in maybe somebody more, you know, older or the buildings that are right at the waterfront in terms of that area. So that that's where they've seen a little bit change there as well. And it maybe appears to be like negative, but it really is kind of the mix of the units that are coming to the
0: market. Yeah, absolutely. again, that's where, you know, being on one side of a street or another can make a huge difference, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Being on one side of Lakeshore or the other, like you said, if you're water, you know, you're in the Etobicoke waterfront area, but if you're right on the water, it's a huge difference in prices and rents versus if you're, you know, a few hundred meters down the street.
1: Exactly. And it does matter, actually, that, you know, we're talking smaller units in those areas. And that's sort of something that's going on in, I guess, in the entertainment district as well. You know, that core area, um, you know, we've had the trading's been maybe a little bit of a slightly larger unit because now we're just starting to see some of these buildings that kind of came out, you know, with a bang in 2010 and 2011 and sold really well with smaller units. They're starting to finish. So you'll see the average monthly rent, not just the index, you know, the index are will go up. Go up because their units are smaller, but the average monthly rent will start to kind of come down somewhat because we're dealing with smaller units in general.
0: And, yeah, and this yeah. is where
1: kind of seeing that kind of product mix that's going into these areas change. Definitely, areas definitely in terms of values. So.
0: Yeah, and again, it's where you, like you said earlier, you, you've got to do more, you've got to do more research. You, you can't just take the numbers and headline to face value. You've got to understand what is behind all these numbers, and you know what. Uh, what is concerning and what is not based on the buildings, the suite mm-hmm. mix, the location, you know, how many buildings are being completed in, in a particular submarket at a particular time. There's so many factors that go into it, and uh, I guess that's, that's really where your great reports come in and where the insights, you know, behind the numbers really come into it.
1: Thank you. We're pretty proud of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no problem. Give you a little plug there. Um Thanks. great. So uh anything else you'd like to add, Pauline? It was it been great chatting to you about these numbers. I hope hopefully we can chat again when the Q two um uh, not the rental, but the sale numbers come out as we, well. When we, but we they-
1: get them scrubbed and and they're ready to go, I know they're pretty shortly. close. Yeah. so yeah. we are close. We we, <laughs> we put we put the nose to grindstone and we put some pretty yeah. late nights in here during our quarter. So uh, yeah, it, it, it will come soon. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, because we're always looking ahead and and whether or not the market is really going to pull the trigger on more purpose built. And, you know, we've recently added that analysis, we've looked at, you know, yeah. the last 10 years of purpose-built in our, in our rental report, and we know anecdotally, we know from, you know, just our, our work that we have a lot of um, companies, particularly, you know, pension funds and equity firms that are looking at, at the long-term prospects of that, and it's been, you know, still kind of a little tepid in terms of just slowly coming to the forefront with these buildings being started to be constructed. Um, you know, we see a couple, like, you know, down in, like, certainly, like, the Selby or, you know, the Montgomery Square at Young and Engleton, um, yeah. both starting construction, which is fantastic, um, but still does not come to a wave at this point, and we're not sure how, you know, where we're going to see how much of it actually going to start to take place. Um, that's where we're kind of looking. We're also kind of looking at, you know, what what's the fall market going to bring in, and that's something I am currently, as I would say, grappling with, with how many – projects are going to come to the market this fall. Um, we've got some interesting you know, developments that are maybe in the waterfront or yes. maybe in downtown east, which is particularly hot area. Um, everybody wants to be east rather than west now, so uh, yeah. we've certainly seen how that's coming along, but certainly, um, everything we've seen so far is, is pointing to a fairly positive demand, um, and that's where kind of where we stand in terms of of kind of looking forward in terms of where the market's going to be going going into the end of the year and going into next year. So.
0: Great. Well, Pauline, thank you once again for your time. It's been great chatting with you and hopefully Thanks. have you again on the show soon. Um, and if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about Urbanation and everything that you guys do and the reports and, and services and subscriptions and, and consulting services that you have, uh, what's the best way for people to do that?
1: The best way is to go to our website first, www.urbannation.ca, one N in the middle, which I let everybody know, and uh, have a look at everything. Have a look at our blog. Um, You can reach us on there. Um, I'm always reachable on my email address, which is this pauline at UrbanNation.ca. And those are probably the two quickest quickest routes, but everything will kind of give you an overview of, of all the aspects that we cover.
0: And, of course, you're great. Twitter account, too, which I love. Yes,
1: our Twitter. How, how can it be that, I guess? <laughs> uh,
0: which is, uh, I think, just at Urbanation.
1: It's just at Urbanation. yes. Follow us on Twitter, definitely. Um, we are kind of try to offer a mix of uh, of different things going on in the industry every day on that Twitter account.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's one of my favorite accounts to follow for sure, and I'll include a link to everything we just mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Pauline, thank you once again.